So let's <clears throat> let's get started. Let's close the eyes. Let's sit up nice, tall, comfortable, relaxed. Let's recite Om three times. Take a deep inhalation. softly and as always we will start with this uh, invocation to sage Patanjali so if you're familiar with the with the verse you can sing it along or just read it on the screen <clears throat> so inhale yogen chittasya padena vacham Malam sharirasya cha vaidyakena Yopakarotam pravaram muninam Patanjalim pranjaliran tosmi Patanjalim pranjaliran tosmi Abahupurushakaram Shanka Chakra Siddharinam Sahasra Shirasam Shvetam Pranamami Patanjalim Okay. And the meaning is, I respectfully bow down with folded hands and offer my salutations to Sage Patanjali, the highest among the Munis, the sages who has presented the remedies for removing the impurities of the body through his treatise on Ayurveda, of language, through his treatise on grammar, which is called the Patanjala Mahabhashya, and the impurities of the chitta or the mind through his treatise on yoga, which obviously we know is called the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And then the second phrase is, I bow down to Patanjali whose upper body is of human form, human shape, who's carrying a conch, a discus, and a sword, and has 1,000 bright heads. This is something I added very recently. Um, since some of you are new here, uh, just to give you a very quick background as to what we've been doing, this is a session that I run every month, once a month on the third Saturday. And this, this series started um, over a year ago now, and it's going on you know, at a nice, uh, comfortable pace, I would say. We don't rush through anything. So in every session, we end up doing about three, four, five, six sutras, no more than that in general. So 
would say it's a nice, easy progress. The idea is to spend time, discuss every sutra so, you know, we understand it, you know. There's no, there's no reason to rush through the whole, whole uh, program. So, uh, you know, I'm sure most of you are aware that there is this whole concept of Ashtanga Yoga in the Yoga Sutras, which is the eight limbs of yoga. And what Patanjali did in the, in the very first chapter is to give us a brief introduction as to what the, the philosophy of yoga is all about what the definition of yoga is, what the ultimate goal of yoga is, which is to attain the state of what, what he calls samadhi. And then uh, in, in the second chapter, he goes on to discuss concepts of klesha. Klesha are the, are the, are the, the, you know, the afflictions or the pains or sufferings that we all go through. And then he also goes through this concept of karma theory, you know, the whole in, reincarnation, rebirth, why do we have to go through all that? So that's all in chapter two. And then in chapter two, he goes through a fairly decent, good, deep discussion of the, the concepts uh, presented in the Sankhya philosophy, which Laura is studying under Philip Moss. <laughs> so Sankhya philosophy is the, is the, is the core uh, philosophical structure on top of which Patanjali has decided to build his yoga sutras, basically. So that's given in chapter two. And then from there on, he, he says that, you know, the whole goal of yoga is to cleanse the mind, purify the mind of all the, of all the clutter, the, you can think of it as garbage that we have in our mind, you know, clutter, all the stuff that we have been carrying through multiple lifetimes. And we have to purify that. Only when we purify that, our intellect is purified and gets stronger. And that's the only way we can actually start seeing the light of true wisdom. And that is what leads us to self-realization. So those are the steps that he has taken us through. And, and to do that, he says, I'm going to give you this whole sequence of activity is called Ashtanga Yoga, eight limbs of yoga. Okay, so he says, you do these and this will help you do all that I'm asking you to do. Cleanse the mind of all the impurities, clear the mind of all the impurities. Okay, that way you will have the light of true wisdom coming through that will eventually lead you to self-realization. So those are the steps that he has kind of given us to, to follow. So, for the last several sessions, we have been going through the different uh, limbs of yoga. So eight limbs of yoga, are, as I mentioned, are, are the Ashtanga yoga. And uh, uh, we started with the discussion of yamas and niyamas, you know, five yamas, five niyamas. And for those of you who are not familiar, yamas and niyamas are, are concepts related to ethical, you can think of them moral, social, behavioral, you know, those kind of guidelines uh, that tell us things like not to tell a lie, not to steal, uh, not to be greedy and, you know, be clean and pure. And all those things are mentioned as a part of the yamas and niyamas. And so we went through that whole discussion. And then we went to the practice of asana. And uh, 
like Sujata said, asana is defined as sthira sukham asanam. We went through that whole thing. And then for the last, uh, I think in the last session, we uh, started discussing pranayama. Okay. So that's where we were. Uh, and what happened? I saw Lee joining us. Okay, so before we go on, can you introduce yourself to everyone? First name, last name, where you're located and why did you decide to join? <laughs> um, Lee Stallings, I'm joining from upstate New York and um, I just enjoy deepening my understanding of yoga. Oh, wonderful. And appreciate you as a teacher for sure. Thank you so much, Lee. All right, so let's get back. Uh, <clears throat> So does anybody remember what sutra we did last time? Anybody? <laughs> we're, we're on 50 or 51. Okay, so, 2.50 or 2.51. All right. So we let's, let's start, you know, just a quick review of these uh, sutras and pranayama. We, we did 49 last time. Okay, and we, I think we are supposed to do 50 this time, but let me just uh, very quickly review the number 49, because this is the starting of the Pranayama Sutra, uh, Sutra on Pranayama. So this, this 49 was Tasmin Sati Shwasa Prashwasa Yoho Gati Vichedaha Pranayamaha. That's the Sanskrit phrase. And the meaning was that that referring to the previous sutra, as always I have mentioned, many of these words at the beginning of each sutra, they refer to the previous one sutra or a set of sutras. Okay, so in this case, it refers to the previous few sutras, which says that firm and comfortable posture being acquired, controlled interruptions in the movements of inhalation and exhalation is pranayama. So essentially, <clears throat> What Patanjali is suggesting is that when you, when you disrupt, when you interrupt or break the flow of inhalation and exhalation, that's called pranayama. Now, you know, Patanjali gives very few words. These statements are very, very, I would say, cryptic, almost undecipherable in my opinion, <laughs> you know, unless you read somebody's commentary, you cannot understand them. But then the problem is each commentator has interpreted them in his own, in his or her own ways. You know, there are no, there's no common ground to, to fall back on. So we read 10 different commentaries, you get 10 different ideas, then you are left to make your own uh, final decision as to what, what, what you want to understand out of all that. All right, so that's the, the challenge. And I would say as well as the beauty of this <laughs> study. <laughs> you, know, you, you understand from 10 different people and then you make up your own mind and whatever you understand, okay? All right, so, uh, so that's what we said, you know, that there are, in general, there are uh, four phases of breathing. One is called inhalation, which is Puraka in Sanskrit. Exhalation is called rechaka. 
Then retention after inhalation is called antara kumbhaka. Those are Sanskrit words. And retention after exhalation is called bahya kumbhaka. Okay. So those are the four different phases of normal breathing, you know, practices that we do in, in common uh, pranayama uh, sessions. Okay. So, okay. So breath is the gross manifestation of prana, and which is the cosmic life force. All right, so I'm going to move on. I, this, this was just to give you an example how multiple commentators have different ways to, 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 uh, to translate different words. So just this one word, gati vicheda, right? In the sutra, this word was used, gati vicheda. And I, you know, I, I looked at about 12 different commentaries. Everyone had a different meaning, different translation of this. So I'm listing about five or six of these. So are you going to share the screen so we can see the slides? I never shared the screen. Why didn't you tell me earlier? Well, you switched it because we were introducing ourselves. <laughs> ah. Thank you. Thank you for pointing it out. All right. So, uh, <laughs> So, you know, we, we had this word Gati Vicheda, right, in this sequence, Gati Vicheda. And this is how different writers uh, translate that. The first one is from Swami Veda Bharati. He's, he's translating as a breaking, B-R-A-K-I-N-G, breaking the force and uncontrolled movement. Uncontrolled, I don't know. Then... Aranya says regulation of flow. Sachidana says controlling the movement. Then Bryant says regulation of the breath. Timely says cessation of inspiration and expiration. Karam Belkar said break in the movement. Now this break and this break, I don't know what's the difference. This is sudden break, I guess, like you put a break on the, on the automobile and this is breaking, breaking into pieces. <laughs> And this is satiation on this. All I'm, all I tr I'm trying to show here is that there is, there is, there is such a vast variety among the commentators in terms of their own understanding, their own way to translate and interpret these sutras uh, that it is sometimes it is hard to, to understand what Patanjali might have meant. Okay. But it also gives us a broad perspective as to, you know, what, what are the possibilities. So that's why I'm saying, you know, it's good to know all these various uh, interpretations and then we make up our own. own. All right. So this is a sutra that I took from the, the first chapter. I'm not going to go to spend too much time on this. But again, this is an interpretation of, of, of what was given in the first chapter by way of understanding how to calm the mind. There in the first chapter, Patanjali was talking about calming the mind, making the mind more peaceful, more tranquil, etc. And there he had given several different options. And one of the options he says is to do this, Prachardana Vidharana Bhyamva Pranasya, or that mental calm is attained by the controlled exhalation and retention of breath. So here he talked about 
applying the, the breath retention after exhalation. And that, he says, will calm your mind. <laughs> All right. So, again, you know, very different way of looking at things. All right. So, let's move on to number 50. So, for those of you who are new, the, the way I have been, you know, doing these sutras is that I first read the Sanskrit sutra, the sutra in Sanskrit. And then I go, you know, read the translation. And most of these translations that I have are by Swami Sachidananda. This is from, from the time when I made these slides, which was quite a while ago. So I still have them. I keep modifying them, you know, as my understanding grows. So I read the, the translation and then I go through the, the sutra word by word. So try to understand each word as, you know, what it means. All right. So let's read this sutra now. And the sutra is Bahya Abhyantara Stambha Vrittihi Desha Kala Sankhya Bhihi Paridrishtaha Dirgha Sukshmaha. That's the Sanskrit phrase. Now, you know, I also understand that some of you probably don't care about Sanskrit, <laughs> but for me, it is very important to read the Sanskrit first and then go through each word by word meaning because only when we know the meaning word by word can we have a better understanding of what Patanjali might have meant, all right? At least we should know each word, uh, what it means, okay? Then we can make our own kind of judgment as to what might be the intent of the author, okay? So, you know, so bear with me. I know some of you may not be interested in Sanskrit, but it's important to understand word by word, okay? So the, the meaning is the modifications of the life breath, prana, are either external, internal, or stationary. They are to be regulated by space, time, and number, and then they are either short, long, long or short. Actually, they should be, sukshma could also be subtle. That's what sukshma means, short or more commonly subtle. Okay. All right. So now, what does it mean here? So the word, you know, uh, prana or, uh, uh, you know, that's not mentioned in this, in this sutra, but that's exactly what it is uh, referred to. Because in the previous one, the word prana was used. Uh, sorry, in, in the previous one, the word pranayama was used, right? It was defined. So pranayama was the control of prana. And therefore, this here, it applies to prana, basically. Okay, so what, what are we trying to say here? So there are several variables mentioned. Did we do the sutra last time? Uh, Elena, do you remember? No, I don't remember doing this. Okay, time. maybe not, yeah. Okay, so there are, you know, this sutra gives us variables that can be used to define different pranayama practices. Okay, you know, we, 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 if, you, if you just... Look at our breathing, right? Breathing, like we said, there are four, uh, four different uh, uh, phases of breathing, inhalation, exhalation, then you can hold the breath after inhalation, 
uh, or you can hold the breath after exhalation. But then you can, you know, do these variables here. Now, this is our, these are these different words that he's using. Bahya means external. Bahya means external. Abhyantara means internal. Stambha means holding something. Stambha, stambha literally means something that's not moving. It, in common language, it applies to a pillar, a pillar, you know, which is stationary, which is holding other things also strong. So stambha is something that is stationary, that's not moving, it's like a pillar. So those are the three uh, variables, external, internal, Hold on a second. I don't know how to. <laughs> I'm doing the share. How do I mute myself? I don't know. Anyway, I apologize for that. So, okay. So these are the three variables, uh, external, internal, and, and holding the breath, basically. All right. So those are the three variables. So this word vritti just means activity, basically. Vritti means activity. So yoga, chitta, vritti, niraudha, you know that. So external activity, internal, and holding the, the breath. Then there are the, these words, desha, kala, and sankhya. Desha means location. Location implying uh, physical location, generally. Kala means time, and sankhya means number. So those are the three other variables. Now, I'm going to go through the, the exact uh, you know, interpretation of these, but the, I'm just giving you the, the, the meaning of the words. Desha is location, locus, some people call it locus. Kala is time frame, Sankhya is number. And the word paridrishtaha, drishtaha means something which is seen and paridrishta is seen very carefully, observed very carefully, examined very carefully. So you examine your, your breath, uh, with these three variables carefully, you know, so, and then your breath can become dirgha or sukshma and or. Dirgha means long and sukshma means subtle or short. I, I would say subtle, not short. This is probably not a correct translation. Dirgha and subtle. All right, so these are the individual word meanings. And let's look at some of the notes that I have here. So if you notice, you know, the, the pranayama practices, usually I'm talking of the normal practices of pranayama, where we are either inhaling or exhaling or holding the breath, right? <clears throat> and then the most common practices, like even the, and some of you I'm sure know this practice called the alternate nostril breathing, you inhale, then hold the breath, exhale, then hold the breath, etc. You know, so those are the common practices. And then people, you know, these uh, teachers of pranayama, they have given us these ratios. You can have a one to two to two ratio, one to four to two ratio. This is when I say one to two to two, which means inhale for a unit of one time, then hold the breath for two units, and then again exhale for two units of time. 
One, four, two would mean the same thing. Inhale for one, hold the breath for four, exhale for two. In most practices, most of the teachers tell us that you should make the exhalation <clears throat> twice the duration of the inhalation, in most cases. That's the very common practice. Okay, and with practice over a period of time, one can prolong each breath and, and make it very subtle and soft. Okay? The word paridrishta, as I mentioned, implies close observation or awareness of the breathing cycle. And then based on these variables uh, that Patanjali has recommended, many pranayama practices have evolved. Okay? So, no, so what, what, he's, what, what we're saying here is that Patanjali has described three types of pranayama, three types of pranayama, which he called vrittis, pranayama vrittis, basically. Bahya vritti, abhyantar vritti, stambha vritti. Now, here's the, you know, the, the uh, problem with explanation. What do you mean by all this? What is bahya vritti? external vritti, what is internal vritti, and what is uh, retention vritti. Every commentator has come up with their own interpretation. All right. So uh, <clears throat> some of them, you know, who are kind of more recognized in our, in this, in the yoga systems, you, you can say you know, the more celebrated commentators, Aranya, for example, or or Veda Bharati, and even now Bryant has come up as a very commonly ref referenced uh, commentator, and there are a couple others, you know. What they are telling us is that Bahya Vritti means that you exhale and then hold the breath for some time. Okay? That's called Bahya Vritti. Abhyantar Vritti, internal Vritti means that you inhale and then hold the breath for some time. Now, here's the rub. Now, what does stambhavritti mean? We're holding the breath after exhalation or after inhalation. Then what is the, the vritti of retention? We already done that, right? Now, they say that vritti means that you hold the breath irrespective of whether you're inhaling or, or exhaling, but hold the breath at any time during your breathing cycle. Doesn't have to be at the end of inhalation, doesn't have to be at the end of exhalation, but anytime during the breathing cycle, you can hold the breath. That becomes stambhavritti. Okay, now this is what the commentator is saying. All right. Can I ask a question, Subhash? Yes, John. Th that, um, referring to that uh, stambhavritti, would that, would an example of that being one of the pranayama techniques that, that you taught us was the, oh, I forget, I'm sorry, I forget the Sanskrit term for it, but the staircase breathing? Yes. Yes. Would that be, that's an example of that, right? That's an example of that. Stambhavritti, right. Okay. We did that ex uh, staircase example where we held the breath after, you know, inhalation and then hold the breath, inhale, hold, inhale, hold, inhale, hold, and et cetera. Very good. Yeah. Um, I have a question too. Yeah. So um, I was just thinking that this is all kind of part of a process when we were talking about the eight limbs of yoga. So this is... Uh, part of a process where you can, these different techniques help build your concentration on the breathing so you can move to the next step, which would be uh, pranihara withdrawal or sensory. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I guess if you're having trouble with this phase of uh, pranayama, then you're going to have a little bit of trouble moving on to your meditation practice because 
you have to make this step successful first, correct? Well, <laughs> that depends on what you define by success. <laughs> you know, it's very hard to define success in pranayama or any other practice. Well, I mean, like when we're in class and you're talking about these different techniques, I mean, Sometimes you're thinking about these different things you're describing, the one to two ratio, and then are you concentrating? Are you doing this or doing that? It seems like your thought process could sort of go crazy trying to do all this stuff in your, you see what I'm yeah, saying? So, and you, you, you actually, you're absolutely right. And, and the idea is to, to develop these practices and they become deep enough that you are able to do these almost mindlessly then, you know, then you don't have to, pay a lot of attention and your mind automatically flows through these practices. Okay, and that's when you can really you know, transition to your more effective uh, phase of, of meditation then through Pratyahara. Yeah. It takes time, it takes practice, everything. But that doesn't mean if you're not, you know, from your definition, if you're not an expert in pranayama, that doesn't mean you cannot go to meditation. All I'm saying is, you know, these things kind of goes all hand in hand. <laughs> okay, so so like I said, you know, commentators have different way of, of uh, uh, inter interpreting these. So this is the common interpretation that you hold the breath after inhalation, hold the breath after exhalation, and then hold the breath at any time during the cycle. So that's one way of looking at it. Some others have some different, slightly different opinions. So again, what do, what do these terms desha, kala, etc. mean? So desha is physical location or the other term they use is locus, L-O-C-U-S, locus. Many have used that term. Again, everyone has their own interpretation. Some say it should be aware of some, some physical location. It can be one of the chakras. You know, there are seven chakras in the body, the crown center, the, the third eye, the throat, etc. There are seven of them. You can focus on that or, or some physical part. Tip of the nose is one example, you know, eyebrows, you know, or, or you, you lift your eyes up and then you look at the eyebrows or the third eye location with the eyes open. That's another way of looking at it. Okay, so, or it could be breathe through either, whether you're breathing through one nostril or you're breathing through both the nostril or you're breathing through the mouth. Okay, that's another way of looking at desha. Then other people, you know, there are some who say that no, no, it means how far, you know, in space can you feel the breath? When you exhale, for example, can I feel it, uh, you know, three inches away from my breath, six inches away, or one inch away from the breath, from my nostrils? That's the desha, that's the location. And that will also tell us how soft and subtle the breath has become. If it is very soft and subtle, if I put my finger here, I probably cannot feel it. But if my breath is very forceful, I can feel it here. I can feel it you know, even further than that. And then when you, when you go internal breathing, right? When you inhale, where do you feel that in your, in your internal structure? Can you feel it in your heart area? And that's what people say, hridaya. Hridaya sthana, that means Try to feel it in your heart. <laughs> what does it mean? I don't know. But that's what they say. When you go internal, feel it in your heart. They even say that you have to 
visualize a stream of light, you know, in one of the, uh, one of the commentators, his, his example is that you visualize a, a stream of bright light, okay, from the navel to the third eye location. So he says, when you inhale, feel that light brightening up. That entire uh, line of that visual light that you are imagining. Okay, so <laughs> all I'm saying is different ways to to interpret and understand these different concepts. Okay, then Kala is time duration of each breath. This is a little bit easier. You know, how long can you inhale? How long can you exhale for? How long can you hold the breath? So these are the Kala time frame. Sankhya is also easy to understand. If you say, for example, if you do, do Kapalabhati, right? You're throwing the breath out and forcefully. How long, how many times can you do that? Can you do it 50 times, 500 times, 5,000 times and all that? Alternate nostril breathing. How many times do you do that? That's the Sankhya part. And this Dirgha and Sukshma, again, not a very clear understanding of what that might mean, but if it means long, then kala time is the same thing then, you know. So what does dirgha means as opposed to kala time, right? That's the question. You know, you have to kind of start on kind of differentiating between these words. Again, in my understanding, you can make it long, but you can force it. For example, in, in Kapalabhati, we force the breath out. Okay, you can call that dirgha, forceful. All right. And we can make it loud also. You can make it soft. And sukshma is subtle, almost imperceptible. Like I said, if it becomes very subtle, then you probably cannot feel it even an inch away from your nostrils. Okay, so that's the part of subtle. All right, so different variables, all right? So based on all these variables, there are dozens and dozens of pranayama practices that people have, uh, have described in their texts. Some of the ones that I do in my classes, Kapalabhati, Bhastrika, Brahmari, Ujjayi, Nadi, Shuddhi. Some, you know, I'm just giving you the names here. Most of you know these practices. <laughs> okay. All right. So now, any any other questions on this number 50? Variables? I just had, I had a question about Samkhya philosophy so Pash. yeah go ahead is what is samkhya is it uh, similar to vedanta or samkhya philosophy uh, samkhya is a is a one of the systems of indian philosophy which is uh -huh. a part part of the what's called the shad darshana shad means six there are six philosophical uh -huh. systems which are mentioned in our in our ancient uh, system, uh, system of thinking right uh -huh. So they are, you know, let me very quickly, I'm going to briefly name them. Yeah. Uh, one is called Nyaya, the other uh -huh. is called Vaisheshika, uh -huh. then there is Sankhya, then there is uh -huh. Yoga by Patanjali, uh -huh. then there is Vedanta, and the sixth, Vedanta, one, yeah. and then the sixth one is Nimamsa. Okay. okay. Uh -huh. So there are six different streams of philosophical Samkhya. thinking. Okay. So Vedanta is a sub, sub thing of Samkhya. Vedanta philosophy is not a separate philosophy. Vedanta is separate from Samkhya. There are, these, these, Vedanta is one of those six. Samkhya oh. is one of those six. 
Okay, oh, Vedanta step, okay. Vedanta is very different, okay? Mm-hmm. And Sankhya is the one on which Patanjali has based his yoga philosophy. Okay. And the key concept in Sankhya is one of mm-hmm. dualism. Dualism implying oh. that there are two realities. One is called Purusha and the other is called Prakriti. Purusha is the pure soul, pure consciousness. Yeah, okay. And Prakriti is the material being, okay, material aspect. So, uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra is non-dualism. No, no, no. It's all dualistic. That's what I'm saying. Oh, it's also... Patanjali has, Patanjali's philosophy of yoga is based on Sankhya, which is a dualistic philosophy. Oh, dualistic. Uh, Advaita is non-dualistic. No? Advaita is, is a non-dualistic Vedanta philosophy. Uh, okay. Okay, got it. Thanks. Okay. Very good. All right, so let's see. Let's move on to number 51 now, okay? So this one says, Bahya Abhyantara, the same word that were used in the previous one, Vishaya Akshepi Chaturthaha, okay? So, Bahyabhyantara Vishayakshepi Chaturthaha. That's the, the way you read it fully. And that pranayama, which goes beyond this fear of internal and external, is the fourth. <laughs> okay. So, again, one sutra where everyone has a different interpretation. <laughs> okay. So, again, the word meanings are simple here. Bahya means external. Abhyantar means internal. Vishaya means the object. Okay. Uh, Akshepi is beyond, transcending something. All right. And Chaturtha means the fourth. Chaturtha means fourth. All right. That's number fourth one. Because he says these three were defined in this sutra, number 50. The three were external movement, vritti, external vritti, internal vritti and retention vritti. Those are the three pranayamas that were defined in the, in the sutra number 50. And now he says, this is the fourth one. What's the fourth one? Which goes and transcends the internal and external. <laughs> okay. So you, you, are, you try to interpret it your own way now. What does it mean? Who knows? All right, you go beyond the sphere of internal and external. All right. So, like I said, my notes say that there is no consensus among commentators as to the exact nature of this fourth pranayama. Generally, many people have, at least some of them have said that this is also called the Sahaja Kumbhaka or Kevala Kumbhaka, which translates as spontaneous breath retention. So it's generally understood that it means achieving a state of breath retention, kumbhaka is breath retention, without recourse to either inhalation or exhalation. And usually happens in deep states of meditation. Okay, And when it's mastered, it leads to merging of the individual prana with cosmic prana. Okay. Subhash, the, yes. 
this is it generally accepted that this fourth pranayama um beginners like us i mean this is this is next level stuff right yes 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 and i ask because there's been you know a handful of times in my beginner experience where um you know the pranayama practice has gone very nicely during that session and meditation is going very nicely and then i, I realize and actually like really more pranayama practice where kind of segue into an unintended meditation almost and then i realize almost i get scared oh my god i'm not breathing yes and so i don't think this is not that right it is, it is it is that it is it is definitely a, a same thing that happens sometimes when you have practiced pranayama for a long time and your breathing has become very soft and subtle and gentle and then you almost kind of and at the at the border of meditation because it goes into deep state of dharana at that point yes and and then there is a sensation there is a feeling that, that the breathing has stopped yeah <laughs> that is exactly this is this is what it is okay yes okay. but it. then the, the 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 whole idea is to practice it over and over again and long enough that now you can retain that breath retention that it automatically stays in that state of breath retention for a longer and longer period of time right but it, it's always my experience has been it sort of freaked me out <laughs> oh, it's nothing to be nothing to feel that kind of freaking <laughs> no 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 i'm mean, not in a genuine way but you know coming to the realization i'm no longer breathing <laughs> yes i just wanted to like like when i was doing raja yoga they said when you are in samadhi yogis usually they don't need to breathe like you know the spontaneous yeah yes that's exactly what they that's, that's, that's what they're talking about here so this, okay. that's, that's exactly what they're talking about yeah that's that, that's what they call kevala kumbhaka that's okay. the Sanskrit word for it and you know you i'm sure you've heard these stories about yogis burying themselves underground for for days and days you know how do they do that that's exactly what they're doing here you know there was a a story about this japanese uh, uh, woman yogini you know many years ago she, at, that was at the uh, haridwar uh, kumbha uh, kumbha mela you know the, the the festival that goes on every 12 years in haridwar big you know mahakumbha mela and this japanese yogi yogini she came and she dug a big hole in the ground and buried herself in the ground for 3 days there okay absolutely no chance of her breathing and this was done in in the presence of everyone there and after three days you know they dug her, dug her out and she came out smiling beautiful <laughs> so uh, so there are people who have developed their abilities to an extent extent that their breath gets suspended automatically for a long period of time I think I mentioned before. Also, I have a cousin in in in, in Bangalore, India, and uh, he claims that you know, he sits for meditation every day for two two and a half hours every day, and he claims that during those two and a half hours, there are at least an hour duration when he is not breathing at all, absolutely. So you know, I have no reason to disbelieve him, but I don't know. <laughs> I have a quick question. 
so do we have a sutra before this in the book which talks uh, about prana cosmic prana and individual prana no. in detail okay no 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 there's no sutra defining prana no okay it just comes uh, in explanations yes, yes. okay no patanjali has not given either definitions or many many of the terms that he uses he doesn't define them because the feeling is that he has already you know taught so much to his students they already have a strong background in all these concepts they know it all now he's just trying to build on top of that <laughs> so prana is like uh, i believe it's like a force a uh, life force yes um, is the is the vital you can think of it as the vital life energy that uh, uh, we can say it keeps us alive right so i'm not sure what cosmic prana means well you know there is always a cosmic component and there is an individual component of everything you know uh, even even the all the sankhya terms like buddhi ahankar manas and all that there is a cosmic component and there is an individual component so you know you need energy to sustain this universe right how does this universe function it functions based on and the cosmic pranic energy okay <laughs> it's all sustained everything the movement of the earth water sun moons all these stars galaxies and everything it needs that pranic energy to sustain its existence its movement and then this individual prana is a manifestation at the individual level of this cosmic prana they say so i mean like i said these are very uh, esoteric kind of concepts but we just have to believe what these people tell us <laughs> so i picked these uh, two uh, two verses from the hatha yoga pradipika which also talks about very similar stuff so let me just read this uh, uh, from the pradipika considering puraka which is inhalation rechaka which is exhalation and kumbhaka retention pranayama is of three kinds this is exactly what patanjali says okay but considering it accompanied by puraka and rechaka and without these it is of two kinds sahita and kevo what it means is when you are when you are doing these practices which are based on puraka and rechaka inhalation and exhalation this is exactly what patanjali says when you're doing it with reference to inhale and hold that's one type of pranayama exhale and hold that's one type of pranayama okay so that is called sahita because you are aware of your puraka and rechaka you are aware of your inhalation and exhalation or when it is without these when you are when you have no awareness of inhalation and exhalation when you have transcended even the need to inhale and exhale that's what is called kevala kumbhaka in that's the hatha pradipika verse number 71 in chapter 2 then exercise in sahita should be continued till success in kevala is gained so this is what he is saying that you should continue your practice of breath breath retention with the awareness of inhalation and exhalation until they become very subtle okay so they they should become very very subtle all right i'm just trying to read this book i just kept it in front of me to start after press 
practicing, this is from Aranya. I'm just reading one paragraph here. After practicing suppression once, normal exhalation and inhalation should be carried out when, however, the practice has been perfected. Suppression can be undertaken without interruption. <laughs> and it is it needless to say that during practice of suppression also, it is necessary to keep the mind vacant, fixed to an internal region about the heart, he says. Okay, so this is all... Everyone has taken a very different approach. And he goes on to describe how this subtleness eventually will lead to this uh, cable or the spontaneous kumbhaka. Okay. So you have to keep practicing uh, these practices that we do in our normal class. And then see if you can extend your duration of practice. You know, it all depends how long you practice for. If you do it for two or three minutes, nothing is going to happen. So you have to keep practicing for a long time. And there will come a time when they become so soft and subtle that you lose complete awareness of the whole process. And then it becomes Kevala uh, Kumbhaka. Okay? So this latter is simply confining the air with ease without Rechaka and Puraka. That's in the Pradipika. I have a question before we move on. Ah, go ahead. Um, does he he doesn't really talk anywhere about the energy channels or the nadis? Patanjali right? does not. Patanjali does not talk about he does not mention the word kundalini at all anywhere in the sutras, and he has used only one one uh, verse, one sutra where he uses the word nadi. Okay, and that's also you know. It's in the third chapter. Just one one sutra where he uses the word nadi. Otherwise, he has no mention of any concept from the chakras, from this, from the kundalini, from that tantra system at all. No. Okay. So I just noticed, noticed Anna just joined us. Anna, did I did I make you stay for a long time? I I wasn't paying attention. Sorry, sorry, I'm late. Actually, I thought uh, I think I didn't uh, see the right time. Oh, that's. But I, I hope I didn't make you wait for too long in the waiting room. No, 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 no. Two, two minutes. Thank you. Oh, all right. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Subhash, you just uh, the Vedic philosophy and Tantric philosophy are different, no? Altogether. Oh yes, yes. Tantra very, very different. Yes. Yeah. So, but that's why I didn't mention. No, Patanjali does not talk about anything related to the tantric philosophy, related to kundalini, chakras, nadis, etc. Nothing of that. Yeah. You know, it's not that he wasn't aware. Obviously, he was fully aware of all that. He just didn't didn't, didn't find a need to have that included in this in this uh, description. Okay, let's. Uh, Move on. So, so remember, so we are talking about four different types of pranayama that Patanjali has talked about. One is to hold the breath after exhalation. That's one type. Hold the breath after inhalation. That's the second type. Hold the breath at any time during the whole cycle of breathing, whether after inhalation or exhalation. Hold the breath. And what one, one of the commentators says 
is that when you hold the breath, at that time, there is some air in the lungs, okay? But then somehow he says, you know, that air also, uh, you know, you have to kind of eliminate that air from the lungs eventually. That becomes full uh, uh, kumbhaka. How? He doesn't explain it very well, you know, but that's, again, every individual commentator has their own way of putting it through. All right. So the number 52 now is Tataha Kshiyate Prakash Avaranam. Those are Sanskrit words. Tataha Kshiyate Prakash Avaranam. So the translation is as its result, the veil over the inner light is destroyed. As its result, remember always. The reference is to the previous sutra, always. So, so whenever you know, done with these four types of pranayama, you know, when when we are understand when when we have understood the concepts of pranayama, we practice these four types of pranayama. Then he says tataha from that. Tataha means from that. From that, what happens? Prakasha varanam. Prakasha is light. Avarana is the covering. Avarana is something that covers something. So. The covering over the light is kshiyate. Kshiyate means it is destroyed or eliminated or, or weakened, basically. Sometimes kshiyate also means weakened, not necessarily completely destroyed, but it means weakened, you know, uh, something like that, or made very, very thin. So from that, from these four types of pranayama that we just discussed in the last couple of sutras, from that, tataha means from that, the, the, the covering over the inner light is removed or is weakened. Okay, so what do we mean by the covering over the light? <laughs> Illusion or something. What's that? Illusion, maya. No, 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 no. It's not yeah. the Maya. No, no. This is covering over the light. You know, uh, see, normally what, what, what we know is that we do have this pure intuitive wisdom deep inside us. Okay. But that intuitive wisdom is covered from us because of the strong influence of the ego. Because the ego is so strong, it does not want us to get into any understanding of this pure, pure wisdom. And that's what we call the true light of wisdom. We call it the true light of wisdom because that light is the light that is reflected from the purusha, from the pure consciousness. That's the pure glow of pure wisdom. But we cannot have access to that because our ego is too strong. <laughs> so, what it's saying is that pranayama can help us at least weaken that cover, that covering, that, that veil that we have sitting on top of that pure intuitive wisdom. Okay, that's the whole concept here. So, pranayama is a very powerful practice. That's what, it, that's what he's saying. So, how do we get to understand that veil? So kleshas, you know, remember we, this is all we discussed in the chapter two earlier part of the, of the discussion that these, these kleshas or the afflictions, they produce the bag of karmas, kleshas. Does anybody remember the five kleshas? Anybody speak up? Five kleshas. 
We talked about them several times. Um, ignorance, egoism, attachment, hatred, and clinging to bodily life. Very good. <laughs> That's from my cheat sheet. I don't remember it. I just have a cheat sheet. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else remember the Sanskrit words? Nobody. Anybody care? <laughs> what are the five kleshas? Okay, so let me just give you the you know quick review now because I mentioned the word here. So remember in the very in the very beginning of chapter two, Patanjali says that we are you know, we have these afflictions, these these pain and suffering because of these five kleshas. And they are the root I'm cause. Tell you the words, Subhash. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, avidya, asmita, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very nice. Thank you. So avidya is ignorance. Ignorance of what? Not knowing my true nature. Not knowing my true identity. Not knowing who I am really in reality, because I am in general identified with my body and my mind, but that's not the reality. Okay, in reality, I'm the pure consciousness, but I don't know that. And because I don't know that, ego takes over. And that the term he uses is asmita, that ego, okay? And ego takes over, and that ego, once it takes over, all it wants to do is, I like it, I hate it. I love it, I dislike it. I want it, I don't want it. That's all ego wants, okay? It doesn't care whether it's good or bad, whether it's required or not. You know, I just like it. It doesn't matter what it is. I like it. I want it. That's Raga and Dvesha. Okay. And then, of course, because of all that, you also develop fears because if you like something and you don't get it, you have fears. Okay. So those are the five kleshas. Okay. Avidya, Asmita. Asmita is ego. Raga is strong likes. Dvesha is strong dislikes. Abhinivesha is the fear. And ultimate fear is the fear of death. And because of those kleshas, we have all these karmas, okay? So these are the bag of karmas, as we say. This is what goes on from life to life, to one, one birth to another birth, okay? And then when stabilization of prana and the body, when this, hap when this happens, the mind is stabilized and the involvement in karma is reduced at that point, okay? And then the samskaras, these are the past impressions that we carry in our mind, deep, deep, in our levels of subconscious, there are these samskaras, these past impressions, okay? And then, then those samskaras become more, uh, uh, more less effective, so to say. So the ego doesn't have so much power on us. And that's what helps us remove that covering of, from the illumination that we should see from our pure intuitive wisdom. Does that make sense? <laughs> okay. So pranayama helps us get there. That's the whole idea. Okay. Next sutra. Now we have covered up to pranayama. Right? There are, there are uh, eight limbs of yoga, yamas, Niyamas, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi, right? 
So what it says is that through the practice of pranayama, this is the final sutra now on pranayama, through the practice of pranayama, this is what happens. What happens here? It says, dharana sutra yogyata manasaha. Dharana sutra yogyata manasaha. What does it mean? The mind becomes fit for concentration. The word used use here is dharana. Okay? And the mind becomes ready. Yogyata means, literally it means ability. Yogyata means uh, the capability of doing something, ability of doing something. So through the practice of pranayama, okay, you develop the ability. Manasaha means of the mind, of the mind. Man, manas is mind. So the ability of the mind to get into states of dharana is improved basically or, or is developed. So the mind develops the capability to get into the states of dharana. That's what the whole sentence means. Okay, dharana. Dharana su is a, is a plural word. That means more than one dharana. So many different techniques of dharana are mentioned by Patanjali as well as many other uh, authors. So the ability of the mind to get into these different states of dharana is uh, is, is, is developed at that point. How? Through the practice of pranayama. Okay? So first thing it says that the veil over the inner light is diminished. I would say, I would not say destroyed. It's, it's kind of weakened or diminished. That's my understanding of kshiyate. And then uh, the ability to get into different stages of dharana, that's, uh, that's possible after that, all right? So many commentators say the pranayama is considered one of the greatest forms of tapas. Does anybody remember what tapas was? Austerity. Austerities, yes. Tapas is, is to, to go through, I always like to add that, you know, go through some measured form of hardship. You know, some very calculated hardship at the physical level, mental level, and deeper levels, but measured, calculated, not uh, <laughs> uncontrolled. So, pranayama is, is a great form of tapas because people have developed such strong abilities just based on pranayama. Like I said, you know, people have been able to to go underground, you know, um, uh, for many days. Uh, through this practice of pranayama, many things many things can happen. Many other uh, abilities you can develop, which are not normal. Okay, so mind is stabilized by stabilizing the breath. I should have I, I didn't bring it, but there is a is one of the verses in the Pradipika which says the same thing that mind is stabilized by stabilizing the breath and the body. So I should bring that up here. Activities of the mind are controlled by prana. And if prana is controlled, we can control the mind. This is a common statement in many texts. You will find that mind and prana, mind and these the, the, the breathing practices, they go hand in hand. Okay. A stable, pure mind is then able to enter dharana more easily. That's what we just said. Dharana. Dharana is the first stage of meditation. All right. Everyone remembers that, right? Dharana is the first stage of meditation. 
What are the other two stages? Dhyana and Samadhi. Dhyana. Dhyana and Samadhi. Very good. Very good. Very good. All right. Let's move on. Now we are getting into the limb number five. Of the eight limbs, we talked about four now. Four are done. <laughs> they should be in our pocket, that pocket. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to number five, which is Pratyahara. Pratyahara, that's the word here, Pratyahara. So now, of course, Patanjali has given us the, the definition of, strangely, he doesn't give a definition of too many things, but he does give here. But some of them he has. Okay, let's read the sutra. Swavishaya asamprayoge chittasya sarupanukara eva indriyanam pratyaharaha. Okay, again, what I'm going to read one more time. Swavishaya samprayoge chittasya sarupanukara eva indriyanam pratyaharaha. When the senses disengage from their respective objects of attraction and imitate, as it were, the nature of the mind, mind stuff it's called, this is called pratyahara. Okay? Now, let's you know, understand this meaning, uh, this sentence through, by kind of understanding each word here. All right? What, what does it mean? So the definition is for this term pratyahara. Okay? So what's pratyahara? So, Withdrawal senses. Withdrawal of the senses, right. Withdrawal of the senses. So, uh, let's look at each word now so that we can understand how it is. Withdrawal of the senses, right. So, the first word is Indriyanam. You know, Indriyanam means, Indriya is the senses. You just pick the word, right word here. Indriya means the senses, okay. So, Indriyanam is of the, of the five senses or of the senses, not just five, basically. We'll talk about that. Now, the word here is Swavishaya. Swa means their own, individually. That means my, my eyes have their own objects of attraction, you know, physical objects or whatever they're looking at, eyes, okay? So the visual impact, right? That's eyes. Ears, listening. So their objects are different. Sound is the object for ears. Taste is the object for, for the tongue, etc. So, Swavishaya Asamprayoge. Some, yoga means union. We all know that yoga means union. Okay. Samprayoga means a very close union. But when we add the prefix A, A always means negative. Asamprayoge means disconnection, disengagement, breakage completely from what? Swavishaya. Vishaya means objects. So the, the ability to disengage the mind from the five senses, basically, the objects that attract the five senses. Okay. And so that's the, the first, uh, first clause of this statement. What is the second clause? Swarupa Anukar. Okay. Swarupanukar eva. 
Okay? Swarupa again, swa means self. And anukara means to follow something. Anukara means to follow something. Follow what? That its own nature, basically. So the mind, it's talking about the mind. Chitta means the mind, right? So the indriyas or the five senses, they get disengaged from their objects of attraction, swavishaya, or some program in disengage, complete disconnect. They have no attraction toward them. And, but then they follow the mind as it is, you know, as it were, they, they seem to follow the mind internally now. They're not going outside, but they're going to listen to the mind. That's what the whole sentence means here, okay? So the mind is basically in charge. That's what we're saying, you know, because now the, the senses are able to follow the mind instead of going outside and getting attracted to the individual uh, objects of attraction, okay? So let's look at my notes here. All right, Pratyahara, my notes say, it's an important and yet the least discussed, taught, or practiced limb of yoga. It's very important. We don't pay enough attention, attention to it. And most often referred to as an external limb along with the yamas, niyamas, asana, and pranayama. This is not, uh, not most often, but it is actually referred to that by Patanjali himself. It comes in chapter three. Okay, so I should modify this sentence. I should say that in chapter three, Patanjali calls this as a part of the external limbs. Okay, I'll make that change. Okay, so now how do we get to these uh, pratyahara things? The yamas and niyamas, you know, all these uh, five yamas and five niyamas, truth, non-violence, purity, non-greediness, etc. all these things, they help calm and purify the mind. That's very important to recognize. And the asana practice, it helps us making the body strong, flexible, stable, and free of disease, hopefully. <laughs> Not necessarily, but hopefully. <clears throat> right? So that's what the asana practice does. The pranayama energizes the vital body. Again, it helps calm the mind. And it also helps in controlling the senses, pranayama. So in the practices that I do, you know, I, I treat many of the pranayama practices as a form of pratyahara. Because when you focus so deeply on your breathing, automatically you are disengaging yourself from the five senses. So it becomes a nice pratyahara practice. All right. It uh, increases the prana, Subhash. What's that? Pranayama. Huh? By doing pranayama, you increase the prana in you? Yes. That increase in the sense, it becomes more energized, more energized, more stable, more evenly distributed across the five pranas. Oh. We talked about, I don't know if I mentioned it here, but you know, there are, you know, when we talk about pranas, right? There are five pranas in the system. Does anybody know the five pranas? Yeah, I know. I just did it. Pra, uh, pr one is prana vayu, then apana vayu, Apana Samana vayu, udana no, no, no. vayu. Uh -huh. huh? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So the, the pronunciation is prana, apana, samana, udana, vyana. Not apana, apana. 
ஆனாஜிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்கலிக்
So these are these sensory inputs at the five sensual levels, you can call them sensory inputs. Five sensory inputs, okay. What's that? No, I just wanted to know what is tanmatra, sensory inputs. Sensory, sensory perception, not the input. Sensory oh, perception after you receive the input. Mm. That's tanmatra. Okay. Okay, and then, uh, and of course you have input through the, through the, through the samskaras, you know, we have deep seated in our subconscious level, all these impressions that we carry from the past. And when they spring up, when they become active in our mind, they are like food. <laughs> they are like input in our mind, okay? And they create all kinds of havoc in our mind. Okay, so that's the three kinds of food that you can think of. And we need to be able to prevent all these three types of food. Then it becomes real pratyahara, total pratyahara. It's not just you know, coming in from the five senses only, but even the ability to withhold any stimulation from the from these deep-seated samskaras. That's what will make us pure and clean mind. Okay. Now, just to give you an idea of you know the eleven sense organs defined in yoga, this is from the Sankhya philosophy. So there are five organs of perception: ears, eyes, nose, tongue, and skin. Five organs of action, feet, which do locomotion, hands, which, you know, they say dexterity, organs of excretion, organs of reproduction, and the organs of speech, which is tongue. So these are the 10 organs of perception and action. And of course, mind has to be there. Otherwise, if, if the mind is not there, none of these can function. Because ears, eyes, etc., they are purely instruments. They only act as you know, instrument to to bring the input into the into the system, and then of course mind has to make sense about of out of all that. Okay, so that's what you know. Just a kind of an understanding of of what pratyahara uh, means. Okay, uh, what I'm looking at is my clock. It's four o'clock, and oops, I have. Ooh, Four more slides to go for Pratyahara. It might take almost like 20 minutes. So should we stop here then? I think we should. Yeah, we should stop here. Otherwise, I, I, you know what I'll do is I'll kind of review uh, next time this 2.54 also, I mean, from the beginning, and then go into the rest of the discussion. I. I hope that's okay with everyone. Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. That's okay. Now, when is the next time that you'll continue? Next time will be the third Saturday in April. Oh, okay. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> I hope I remember all this. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We're not done yet. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay. Now, what we normally do is, you know, we... What we're going to do is to go through a, a five-minute period of silence. We call it personal meditation. Okay, And then we will recite this invocation to Patanjali one more time at the end. All right? Okay. So for now, let's just sit quiet for five minutes. Close the eyes and just 
It's kind of calm the mind, very peaceful mind, all right?
just softly open the eyes now. Um, before we do the closing, can everyone turn their video on? I'd like to take a snapshot of the screen just for my records. Please turn your video on, everyone. Ah, there you are. Yeah, I'm just going to take a quick snapshot. <laughs> Okay, very nice. So let's do the uh, uh, invocation. Uh, I'll share the screen so you can read it along. <clears throat> okay, so you can, like I said, you can sing along or just read along. <clears throat> Inhale. Yogena chittasya padena vacham malam sharirasya chavaidyakena yopakarotam pravaram muninam patanjalim pranjaliranatosmi patanjalim pranjaliranatosmi Abahu Purushakaram Shankachakrasidharinam Sahasrashirasam Shvetam Pranamami Patanjalim. I bow down with deep respect to Sage Patanjali. Om Asatoma Sadgamaya. Tamasoma Jyotir Gamaya, Mrityorma Amritam Gamaya, Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. Lead me from unreal to the real, darkness to light, from the fear of death to the knowledge of immortality. Peace. Peace. Thank you all very much. Namaste. Have a wonderful day, night, evening, wherever you are, in different places. <laughs> Thank you, Subhash. Thanks, Thank everyone. You. Thank you. Thank Bye -bye. you. See you next time. See you next time. Do come back and bring your friends along. <laughs> I'll bring the peace. Yes. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, guys, everyone. All right. Thank you. And uh, you said you are in Washington, right? So that's yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you were you doing a teacher training there? No, I done two teacher trainings in Rishikesh. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I'm doing the third teacher training from here, Yoga Radio in New York. The Josephine Hall and Jeanette were uh, with me. Oh, really? They're also doing the teacher trainings. From where? New York? New York. Yoga Renew. What is it about? It's a 300-hour teacher.